Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Okay, buckle in, because we are getting ready to start a new series on miracles that I think is going to be uh, profound. And my expectation is, because, because God is real, and He answers prayer, and He put promises in His book, and because of all those things, I believe we're going to see bona fide miracles in our midst, with all my heart. And uh, I don't know where you need a miracle, but let's begin to believe God for great miracles in Jesus' name. So uh, this will be a fairly short series, just a few weeks here. But from the start, I want to make sure that everybody understands that the focus of what we're talking about is not to get our mind and our eyes on, on the works and on the miracles, but to get our eyes and our focus on he who works those miracles and he who can do, uh, to, to do them, which is God. And so we're going to keep our minds on God. We're going to seek to glorify Jesus Christ in all we say and do. But with, it, with that in mind, I want you to consider the words of Jesus. I know you're familiar with them, but he said this, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and will do even greater works than these. Now, now either Jesus was kidding or he was serious, one or the other, but, but he, we know he doesn't lie. And I don't think he was kidding when he said we would do these things. And so, so with Jesus being glorified, we want to keep in mind that he is the one who set this bar, set this expectation that we would move mountains together by faith. Amen? In our text today, which if you would open your Bibles to Matthew 17, and we will hit uh, verses 14 through 20. Matthew 17, 14 through 20. But in our text, we come to a time when Jesus had already sent out his disciples. When he first gathered his disciples, one of the first things he did was he, he trained them and then he sent them out. He would show them what to do and how to heal people and how to, you know, and he said, go out and raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, uh, set captives free heal the sick. He said, go out and do all that stuff. And sure enough, they went out, and, and this was a couple different occasions. One time it was the 12, another time it was 70. And they would go out, and they would do these works of God, and then they would come back and report, and they, would, they were just amazed. They said, this worked, Jesus. Even the demons were subject to us in your name, and they were ecstatic about how well things were going. But in this case, in Matthew 17, our disciples who were doing so well before have hit a bit of a roadblock, and that's what leads us to this text. Picking it up in Matthew 17, 14, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then, then we see a response from Jesus here, and let me explain in just a moment. But he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And what I want to say about that, that because it just seems like, wow, Jesus, that's intense, right? Do you, do you read that and go, ooh, I'm glad I wasn't standing there in that moment. That would have just cut me to the heart. But, but the thing is, is the reason... I believe Jesus was so intense in that moment. You rarely ever see Jesus get angry or upset. If you ever see Jesus upset or angry, it is never to defend himself. This is an important lesson about anger. If you get angry because your feelings have been hurt or your stuff or somebody messed with you, that's not the way Jesus did it. But when, what he did, and there is a righteous anger, and he was righteously indignant and angry at times when other people were being hurt or misled or mis 
not taken care of the way it ought to be. And so this bothers Jesus. This bothers him a lot because there's a, listen, think it through. That, you know, I think we read the scripture and we kind of uh, get almost antiseptic about it. That, that this boy is demon-possessed and, and he is manifesting. He's, he's throwing, he's trying to do suicide in front of his father. He's foaming at the mouth. This kid is messed up. And by the way, a lot of times we think, oh, that, that, that poor child had mental problems. There's a lot of mental problems we're saying are mental problems. And I'm not saying they all are, but some of them are just demons that people just need to be delivered from. You understand what I'm saying? And that's part of the process of what we do as a church. We deal with stuff like that uh, as the Lord uh, gives us opportunity to do so. So Jesus is, is and here's the, here's the reason Jesus is upset. He desperately, desperately wants this boy to be well. He doesn't want, who would want... Think of the compassion of the Lord. Think of your own compassion. If you saw a boy like that, wouldn't you be just devastated to see someone in that condition? And so Jesus, for the sake of this boy, is upset with his disciples. And, he, and at the same time, he's no doubt a bit upset with his disciples because they are not trusting him to the level he knows they're capable of. He, he has an expectation of these guys, and they've been doing pretty good, but now they've met a little roadblock, and they didn't step up. They just kind of rested on their laurels. We, they thought, ah, we, you know, we're, we're cool. We got faith. We've seen some stuff. And then he just kind of parked. And Jesus is not happy with that. So look what happens. Verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, watch this, and these are the same guys, by the way, that have already healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, you know, they've done all the stuff already. But then he says this, in this case, because you have so little faith. He says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And then remarkable words, six words, nothing will be impossible to you. Nothing will be impossible to you. Now, I want to remind you, and, and uh, I've said it before, and I put it in my book, and if you haven't read it, I'll give you a copy, but, but it, the, this is a big deal to me because that word small is not in the original language, the Greek text. And, and you say, well, how did it get into my Bible? Well, some well-meaning translator thought it was implied. And sometimes when you translate from one language to another, if you did a word-for-word translation, it would be unreadable. Do you understand? It would be so hard to read. So sometimes they take a little bit of liberty and say, oh, this must be implied. But if you, this is the reason you need to study, to show yourself a workman, to prove to God a wanna, right? And you need to get after the Word of God to understand that there are deeper truths that we can miss when we take things at face value. And that's why God gives teachers and pastors to churches to help get this stuff out because it's important to understand it's not faith that's as small as a mustard seed. Jesus obviously is not happy with small faith. So he's saying, step it up, guys. You've been at this a while. Your faith should be growing by now. So what it's saying in the Greek text is you have faith as a mustard seed. What's the point of the mustard seed? Not the smallness of it, but the fact that such a small seed can be such a great tree. And what is it about the seed? That it's, it can be something large, and it continues to grow, and it continues to get better, right? And it's, in, and it's vitality in the seed. There's life in the seed. And he's looking for life, and he's looking for growth in his disciples, and he's not seeing it, and he's bothered by it. I want to ask you today, if we're going to move mountains, 
right? If we're going to move mountains, what is it that's going to have to happen in us to be able to do that? Let me ask you also, what is your mountain today? What is your mountain? What is that thing in your life that, that you've been praying about or you've been contending for? You've been waiting on God for, it seems like, and you say, man, I haven't seen it yet. What are you waiting on God to do? What do you need God to do in your life? We are going to find out today how to move mountains. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we already just, just even going through it, man, I just feel, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're already in this and you're speaking already to me and to my heart. And I pray that the same will happen for everybody who's here, that everybody that's here will, will uh, listen intently, Lord, and receive the word of the Lord today. And like your word says, that the word does become a seed in us. And it, the idea of that seed is that it would produce fruit 30, 60, and even 100-fold in our lives. Let that happen in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a, a, a four-square missionary, part of our denomination, a four-square missionary who is over the region of uh, the South Pacific Islands. And, um, but he used to be a pastor in the United States. And years ago, uh, and God has used this man in incredible ways, he and his wife, uh, Jerry and um, uh, Melinda Scott. And uh, Stott, excuse me. And so he tells the story of a time that he was finishing up his church service. He had uh, multiple services on a Sunday. He was, at, I believe, in Southern California at the time. And uh, he was so excited because it was the last service of the day. And he and his family were going to get a chance to go back east for a brief but, but it needed vacation time of about six days. And then he was going to be back in the pulpit the following Sunday. But he was really looking forward to getting out of there. And just as he's starting to head out the door and get toward the parking lot, one of the guys from his church shows up and gets right up in his face. He says, Pastor Jerry, you got to come with me. My brother uh, was, was, they found him dead, and then they resuscitated him, but he's on life support right now. The doctors say he's got no chance of, of surviving. It's not going to work. He's going to die. And, and, and you got to come pray for him. Well, uh, Jerry was familiar with this guy, but, and I, he said he thought that the, guy, the other man who was in the hospital had maybe been once or twice. But in general, this whole family didn't come. And, and what else are you going to do in that moment? Anybody would do it. You don't have to just be a pastor. But if somebody says, come with me, you got to go, right? So he just, he just said, okay, I'm going. And so he walked into that hospital, and, uh, and as he went in, he began to hear more of the report. And they, the doctors were saying, listen, too, mu too long took place. There's no chance of this, uh, this man rising up. They're, the only reason there's even a heartbeat or anything right now is he's on machines. And, uh, and, so, and Jerry's thinking in his mind, how's he going to tell the family he's not going to be able to do a funeral service for them because he has to go on vacation. He's, he's doing a wedding uh, back east, and it's part, part vacation, part work, but he's going to be going back east, and it just can't happen. He's trying to think through all this stuff in his mind. And, uh, but the family members, uh, again, they're not believers, and this man... Uh, that's lying there is not, and so he's thinking, what am I going to do? But he decided, they asked him, please pray. And so he thought, oh, okay, I'll pray. So he's in the midst of praying for this guy. And in the midst of his prayer, God spoke to him and said, tell them I'm going to raise him up on the third day. Just, just put yourself in Jerry's shoes for just a moment, would you? Just think that through. You're praying and all of a sudden God says, tell them I'm going to raise him up on the third day. Well, Jerry was thinking about that in his mind, you know, probably still praying. I know how, it's amazing how our minds can think about stuff and, you know, and I, I can picture myself in his shoes thinking, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I can see many, many problems with that, God. <laughs> that does not sound like a good idea to me. 
First of all, I'd like this whole family to come to Christ. And if I make a prophetic announcement about his being raised up on the third day and he doesn't get raised up on the third day, then they're going to think I'm a fraud. They're going to think you're a fraud, God. I'm, a, I'm looking out for you, really, God. There's a whole deal here. So, you know, you can just see the wheels churning in his head. He says, man, I've got a, you know, he's thinking about this. He says, I think I've, I've got a pretty good reputation in our community and that's going to be blown when the word gets out that I prophesy this guy's going to be raised up. And so he's just really struggling with that with God, and that's okay. I think God's okay with that struggle, you know? So as he's standing there and he finishes up his prayer, he's finishing up his prayer, and he thought, man, I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out. And he said, God, and he said it out loud. He said, God, open this man's eyes now. And the guy opened his eyes, and then he closed them. And, and Jerry's like, oh, good, great. I was looking for an excuse. I was looking to get out of this. So then he said, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to raise him up on the third day. I'm going to raise him up on the third day. Whew, the family got full of faith. They got excited. Man, the man of God had spoken it. So they were like, that's it. So Jerry left the hospital. He went on vacation. Every day he's calling back to the church. Anybody heard anything? No, we haven't heard a word. Oh, he called back. After the third day, he started calling the church. Nobody, would, nobody had knew, knew anything. No, this family was barely known in the church. Just the one guy came. So, so he gets back from his vacation late Saturday, Sunday morning. He gets up, and they have worship. He gets up to preach like I did just a few moments ago. He stands in the pulpit, and a man stands up and starts walking to the front. He says, Pastor, I've got a testimony. It was the man that had asked him to pray. He thought, well, I better let him talk. <laughs> he, seems, he seems rather excited, so let him talk. So he brings the guy up on the, the platform. The guy begins to speak. He said, Pastor Jerry came to our, our hospital bed. My brother was dying, and he said he, God would raise him up on the third day. And on the third day, he sat up in his bed, and he got out, and there's nothing wrong with him. The people went nuts. Everybody was excited. I mean, what an incredible, incredible moment. And, uh, and, and the family, all the family ended up coming to church regularly after that. You would, wouldn't you? Right? Yeah. You see where that all goes? And so, so you know, I, how do you measure the blessing and the wonder of a young family who, who, whose husband and father had, was on the brink of death and now has been restored? How do you measure how great that is? And, and, and here's the next question for us, Praise Center. How are we going to participate in that kind of blessing to people around us? Hmm? Don't you think we ought to do that? I mean, do you, do you take seriously the words of Jesus when he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, and all that stuff? Do you think he was only talking to those 12, which could be one explanation? Or do you think that everything that, he, that applied to those disciples applies to us too? Well, I can tell you the latter is the truth because he told them, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and listen, teach them to obey everything I've commanded Okay, so now we have it. Anything he told the disciples to do? That's in our purview. You with me? So listen, would you agree that there are mountains everywhere that need to be moved? How many just, you put your hand up right now. I'm not going to ask you what it is. You say, man, I've got one in my, my life and I'm raising my hand. Look, all over the room, lots of mountains. Lots of mountains to be moved here. So what do you say we get busy? Let's do it. Let's do it. First, I want to say this. This is the first point I want to make. It's a very important point. And I think we could miss this and we could get confused. And wait, when I say this, you might think, uh, I don't know if I believe you. Your faith, your faith moves mountains. I could even say it this way. You are the mountain mover. You might be in trouble with that, but hang on for a moment. Now, 
Jesus said, remember, whoever believes in me will do the works I'm doing. Who's doing the works? Who's doing the works? We are. You, you see what I'm saying here? Hang on. See, we've got to understand that moving mountains is really a partnership between us and God. It, it is. And only he has the power to move the mountains. But this is something we all need to really understand about God. He will not do it unless we are involved and active in our faith. He doesn't just go around moving mountains indiscriminately. Only at the, uh, only at the time when his people rise up in faith does God move and move the mountains. Yes, it's his power, but it won't happen without us. Years ago, I was an associate pastor in Ellensburg, uh, Foursquare Church there, and uh, this was the, one of the funnest things of my life. Uh, we had some work that needed to be done on the property, and it had to be done with a backhoe, and there was nobody else to run it, and so we rented a backhoe, they delivered it, and guess who got to play on a backhoe for a whole day? I mean, I was ecstatic. I'd never done that before. I figured, I can figure this out. How bad could it be? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't know what you're doing, it could be very bad. I thought I was going to shake the teeth out of my head at first. I mean, I was just really rough with the controls, and the thing was bouncing around, and I'm, I'm all over the place. But after a while, I learned with the controls to be gentle. And, and you know, within a short amount of time, I learned uh, to, to just take the controls and feather them lightly and almost make that, that hoe just an extension of my arm reaching out there. And Like my hand was at the end. I, I could kind of begin to feel what those back... You see a, a good backhoe operator, you go, oh, that's just... That is poetry in motion. I think, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to the guys for a minute. How many as little boys, you stood there and just watched it for hours and you thought, I got to do that someday. See, you're still doing it, right? <laughs> and so I love that. I love your job. I would love to have your job. So, so, so seriously, uh, this idea of, of this backhoe is what comes to mind for me because because what would happen, and one of the things I was going to do with this backhoe out there, there were these Chinese elm trees. They're, some of them were about that big around, not, not huge, but, but good enough size, maybe 15 to 20 feet tall, and they were just like weeds out on the property, and we wanted them all out because we were trying to develop some, some extra parking and some other things, and they just, they just didn't need to be there. So it was my job to go out there and pull these things up. Now, how many know if I went out there, burly as I am, and, uh, and grabbed a hold of that trunk and just... How many know not much is going to happen, right? So, so this backhoe, though, I would get out there, and I'd set it up, and I'd back up to that tree. I'd set the little pads down. I'd, I'd, get the, I'd turn the seat around, and I'd, I'd set the hoe, and I'd go right past the trunk of the tree just beyond it, and I'd dig that hoe down into the ground deep until I couldn't get it to go any further, and I'd start drawing it back to myself and go a little deeper, a little deeper, and pop, and it popped that tree. That was so easy. I exerted like this much effort. Ugh. And poof, I could lift a mighty tree. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I loved it, and I had such fun doing it. I mean, it was just a great, great thing. The work that I exerted was really negligible, but the work that was produced was amazing. Now, you, this, is, this is how it works with us in God. You know, in ourselves, by our own strength, absolutely we can't do a thing. We, we, we're less than nothing. But with God in our lives and with his, with his power, in this case, of course, the backhoe is God, and only he has the power to do what needs to be done. But in his wisdom and divine sovereignty, he has decreed that since creation, since he created man and woman on this planet, he is not going to do anything on this planet except that he does it through people. 
You, you say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, you show me an example when it's not true. Even the salvation of human beings had to come through a man who was a man God, but he was a man, fully man, Jesus Christ. So, so, so this is how it's all working. And God, ever since he rested on the sixth day, uh, on the seventh day, has put it in the hands of mankind to get after it and to do what needs to be done on this planet. It's always his power, don't misunderstand. I can't lift that tree, but he can. But he won't do it without me, and he won't do it without you. This is very important to understand. I want to show you another verse. Jesus' life and his, his own words confirm this. Notice in Matthew 21, 22, uh, 21 through 22, he, uh, the use of the word you in, these, in this uh, couple of verses here. Jesus replied, watch this, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, only, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, you can say to this mountain, I think only about half of the people in this room got that. I say, you can say to the mountain. See, God's not talking right now. We're talking. It's his power, but we're the mountain movers. He says, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Do you believe it? Help us, God. Faith is essential to moving mountains. Faith is essential. Whose faith? Our faith. Amen. You're getting it. And, 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 are, you, are you familiar with uh, two-step authentication? Or, or two-factor two author? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're, we're running into this all the time. You see, thieves can come along, and they might get your password, and they might get your username, but, but presumably... Only you have your cell phone with you, so they'll send you an authorization code of some numbers, and it's a pain in the neck. Everybody agrees, right? I hate doing it, but there's a reason for it. It's important, and the, the thing you want to do is not going to happen until that second factor isn't enacted. So it's got to happen. It's got, it has to happen, and, and it's, it's good. It's for security, and so don't, don't begrudge it. Just work through it and deal with it, and it, it's good for you. It's good for me, but the, here's the thing. I want to tell you today that, that the idea of moving mountains is a two-factor authorization situation. Two factors are involved. The first is faith, which we just talked about, and if you've got faith, you can move mountains, but I'm telling you, there's just one little key that you still may need to open it. And, and with the remainder of this message, I'm going to give you the first of three keys that are possibilities that may be hindering us from finally getting that last thing to opening our mountain. And here's the last little bit I want to talk about, and that's this. Moving mountains takes obedience. I kind of alluded to this last week when I began to talk about this series. So Luke also mentions, we were in Matthew when we looked at this text, but we're going to look at Luke as well. He mentions what Jesus said about moving mountains, but he doesn't talk about mountains or fig trees. He mentions a mulberry tree. I, I, I can't see any, any reason that that's of big significance to us, but it's a bigger tree than a mustard tree, and a, uh, uh, it's bigger than a fig tree, but it's, it's still a, just a tree. And uh, So I don't think it's about the kind of tree, but he brings out a different context to this idea of moving mountains. Watch this, Luke 17, 6-9. He replied, if you have faith as small, again, that's not in the Greek, to, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it'll obey you. 
Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told? Now, we in our culture in America today hear this story and we're getting a little miffed inside, aren't we? Did you feel it? Did you feel that? Right? Weren't you getting a little upset? Like, man, you should not treat that person that way. But, and this is where it's important scripturally to understand the context. Everything that Jesus says or anything that's in Scripture, we have to interpret it and understand it in terms of the culture and the hearers as they heard it. Not in terms of our own culture, our own ways of thinking. We have to look back and put ourselves in the shoes of the people that are hearing this story. To them, it would have been unthinkable for a landowner to come in and start waiting on a servant. It would have been stupid. It would have been crazy, right? So, so get, our, get our minds around that idea and remove whatever cultural bias we have and look deeply for the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus tells this brief parable on the heels of encouraging them to, to be full of faith so that they can uproot trees by faith and presumably mountains too. And he says in verse 9, it's the, the, the one that can do that is the one who does what he's been told. The one who does what he's been told. In fact, put that verse back up so we can all see that, if you don't mind. You see that right there in verse 9 at the end there? The one who does what he's been told. And so, so the key ingredient then is, is this, understanding that first, our own submission to authority and then understanding that the authority, once we're submitted to authority, then authority is then granted to us by our Savior. But, but you always have to start with submission to authority first. Notice this line of obedience. We're God's servants, so we're obedient to God. And as His servants, if we exercise our faith to a mountain or a tree or a, or a trouble or something that needs to be moved in our lives, since we're obedient to God, the mountain must be obedient to us. We serve God, the mountain must serve us. There's a line of authority that's coming in and through us. Now, and I just want to throw this out because I feel like, you know, sometimes I hear people will come to church, are you a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. And, and there's just known sin in people's lives. And, and it's just out there, and they don't, they're not, they don't seem to be even questioning it sometimes. And I, you know, hear me out. But what makes us think we could be a believer without obedience? Hebrews 5.9 says that Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. I'm not preaching a gospel of works here. You don't obey God to get saved. You're saved. You said you, you, you cannot be saved unless Jesus is Lord. The word Lord means master. That means he's in charge, and that's it. He gets to choose. He calls the shots. Jesus gets to tell us what to do. And if you're saved, you have no problem obeying God. No problem at all. If you're disobeying God openly and, and continually without repentance, you need to go back to where you started and start over with the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I now confess you as Lord and master of my life. And I will make every effort. Are we perfect in this? No. But we care. We, we, it's like we get this kind of attitude like, I don't care. I'm just going to sin. No. That's not obedience. You can't move mountains when you're doing like that. 
See, once we're saved by grace, we enter God's family. Hey, this family has a father, and I don't know if father's a bad word for you because you, I didn't have a good father growing up. I get it. Some people are re repulsed by that. But I'm going to tell you, in this family, we have a father, and what dad says goes. It's his rules. It's his house. It's his family. So they, listen, he loves us as children, even if we mess up, but there's still an expectation of obedience. God expects obedience. Let's say one of my boys, when they were young, had disobeyed me. For instance, let's say <coughs> Andrew was hitting his younger brother Alex and, 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 and in anger, and, and I needed to discipline him. Maybe on the first trip through, I'd say, I'd say son, 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 sit down. And I give him that stern look like, you know, th this can't go on. And then it happens again, and, and I, hey, don't get crazy on me, but I, got, I have this paddle. I still have it. Yeah. And I, I, I carefully crafted that thing to be maximum benefit. <laughs> I, I, I carved it myself out of a chunk of wood with a nice handle, just the right size on it. You say, that's awful. It's Scripture. The Bible says if you don't use the rod of discipline, you hate your children. Come on, parents. Just hear what I'm saying to you today. This is what the Scripture says. You think, oh, well, I can, I can discipline my kids without... No, you can't. Just follow the Bible. Trust me, it works. Yeah. All right? My kids aren't perfect, but they turned out all right. They all love Jesus. They love their dad and mom. They love the church. So, all right. We just did what Jesus said to do. So, but, but so sometimes there was a paddle. or Sometimes there was, it was never abuse. But either way, there was an expectation in our home of obedience. We're not going to have it. How would we think that God would be any less about that? Roman, listen to this. Romans 6.12, watch this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires. Note the word obey in that sense. And then just five verses later, Romans 6.17, but thanks be to God. I love this. I love, the way it, I love the way it just turns it upside down. It says, thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart. The question is, who are we going to obey? Who are we going to obey? Or who or what is on the throne of our heart? Is it, is it sin? Is it our lustful desires? Is it that thing? Are we letting sin reign? Then we're going to, if sin is reigning in our hearts, then we're just going to do sin stuff. We're going to obey those desires. You say, I'm having a problem with obedience. The problem is, who's on the throne of your heart? Right? Okay. And, and what I love about that second verse, if you put it back up, please, is you see that the flow of obedience isn't something that you have to like, oh, I've got to work at this. No, it's going to come from where? You're going to follow your own heart. That's why giving is so important because it, it says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if you're placing your treasure in the things of this world, then your heart ends up in the things of this world. You wonder why you can't get your stuff straight because your heart is wrapped up in the things of the world. And so the first thing you do is you say, I trust you with my 10%, God. I take my hands off of that. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Come on, come on, I'm not trying to raise money here. I'm just trying to tell you that if you're struggling in some area, you just got to trust God. And you got to put God on the throne of your heart. That's, that's for sure. So the, we have this two-factor authorization going on to moving mountains. The first is faith. Got to have it. You must be growing in our lives. The older we get in the Lord, we got to get with it. That's basically our username and password. Man, we're into the account. But we're not going to see anything until we deal with the second step, which in some cases, in many cases, can be a lack of obedience towards God. Are you getting that? Yeah. Praise God. Woo! Come on back up, worship team.
when I got saved, we, we sang different songs, and at the time, I thought they were nuts. I grew to like the songs. Um, I like the songs we do now better. But we used to do this song, I don't know if you've heard it before, Trust and Obey. How many have ever heard that song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust is faith, right? And obey. Have faith and be obedient. Have faith and be obedient. Or as James says it, faith by itself is dead if not accompanied by action. Trust and obey. It's like two, two if you want to get somewhere in the Lord, you've got to trust you got to obey. And then you trust some more, and you obey. A lot of us want to do this. We just want to exercise faith. I want to trust you, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm trusting you. Oh, God, I trust you with everything within me. I trust you, Jesus. We wonder why we're not getting anywhere. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way. You want to talk about happy, man. What, what a happy place when we begin to see the works of God done among us. As we conclude, I'm praying that God moves on our hearts. I, I pray that if there's anything that needs to take place in a relationship between you and the Lord, you may have come in today and you think, you know, I think I'm pretty good with God, but even in the preaching of the Word, you think, and even as I was preaching, this happens to me so often, it's like, it's, again, your mind can be, you can be saying one thing, and then in your mind the Lord's just dropping a little, what about that, Sal? <laughs> and I preach to myself up here, I do. And as I was preaching today, God reminded me of an area of disobedience. I'm hoping that happened with you too, if, if indeed there is that. Then something that needs to happen. And so today, as we go to this last song, I'm going to just open up the front and, and, uh, for, to make an altar out of this place at the front here. Maybe, maybe if it gets too full, you can get in behind. Or, or, but I, why, why do you have us come to the front, Pastor Sal? It's so embarrassing. I don't like it. That's probably why, right there, just because you don't like it. <laughs> no, the truth really is this. I think that when I move out of, physically move my body and do something, when I, I show some effort, like something happens, I can't describe it, but I just know that something really happens when I begin to exercise that faith enough to just to walk up front. We're not, we're just looking for people to just come and, Give it all to God today and say, Lord, I, I just want to clean the slate right now. I want to, do, I want to see mountains move. I've got to see mountains moved in my life. I've got to see some mountains moved. Other, you know, uh, I think, I think uh, others may feel that they've not been trusting God as they should. They've not been exercising their faith. In Mark 9, the story is told of the boy that the disciples couldn't heal. The same story, and the father boy asks him to heal him. And Jesus responds this way again, everything is possible to him who believes. Everything. Everything. You might say, I don't have, know if I have enough faith. I love the response of that father in Mark 9 to, the, to Jesus. He says, oh, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I got, I got this much, Lord. And I know you're asking me for more. I got some unbelief here. And let me overcome that, Lord. So that faith rises above my unbelief. So come to the altar today.
Let's do some mountain moving. Get to the, get to the foot of the cross today and just say, i got, I got to move some mountains. Let's cry out to God. And I, if you don't have a mountain to move, I'll give you a couple of mine. I need prayer for my body. I'm in constant pain in my back and in my foot. have been for several years now. Many of you know this already. Hey, you don't have a mountain to move? Help me move my mountain. i got to get this dealt with. This is rough, I'm telling you. Super hard. But God is on the throne. And I'm trusting in God. And I'm going to give up. And I'm not going to stop walking in faith because I haven't been healed yet. But I'm going to move that mountain someday. Come on. You want to pray for something? Maybe you don't have something to pray for? Pray for this church. I, I have no idea why there's any empty seats in this church. I think this is the best church in town. Come on. And I'm glad you're all here. And, I, you know, and, and summer's fun and vacations are great. But I just feel like God wants to do more with Praise Center, don't you? Don't you feel like this is a place where you can worship God, where you can hear the truth of God's Word, where people will love you and care for you? I want to see God do a major work through Praise Center. I'm jealous of my friend, Pastor Jerry. He's the First Assembly of God. He's the best pastor in town, but you can't go because you're here. They just went to two services today. I missed two services. I want two services. Lord, can I have two services? One day we had four services. Hey, listen, I'm not talking about anything like a sinking ship. This is a great church, and I'm glad you're all here. I'm, I'm talking about, I don't think God's done. Come on. I think there's things God wants to do with us. And would you just agree with me about that? So, so in, in addition to your own mountain you may have to move, would you pray with me about those things? Would you? Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.